following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, We are in Exodus chapter 24 today. Exodus chapter 24, uh, continuing in our study uh, on the book of Exodus. If you have missed any of these, um, you can go ahead on our website, communitygospelchurch.com, and um, all of our messages are there, so that'll get you caught up to speed on everything that's transpiring in Exodus As I was studying for Exodus chapter 24, thinking of a, a question and you don't have to respond out loud, just maybe um, think about this, but if somebody were to promise you something, how do you know that that promise was true? And all week I was thinking about this, like um, how many people make promises to me all week long? Like, and how do I know those promises are true? And uh, what I realized was there's a lot of people who are promise breakers uh, real fast, right? Like, oh, I'm going to do this. Most of them are from my kids. Um, They promised me that they're going to do something, and um, it just proves that they, they didn't do that. And so um, they prove their fallibility and, um, and, and that's okay, right? Because their parents are perfect. So we're good there. <clears throat> um, how do you know? Like if, if somebody was going to say, hey, I'll meet you for lunch, for example, that's, that's a promise, right? I'll, I'll see you there at noon. How do you know that, that that promise would come true? You put it in your calendar or whatever the case is, or um, how would you uh, say somebody looks at you and says, um, I promise that uh, I'll buy you this gift, right? Um, uh, Okay, well, how do you know? How do you know if it's true? And then I was reading the Bible, and I'm thinking there's all these promises from God. And how do we know that they're true? And if we go to Exodus chapter 24, we start to see that God is a promise keeper. And he's always kept his promise. And throughout time, we have seen those promises come true. And, but we also see in Exodus 24, because God is a promise keeper, what God looks like and also how God is to be worshipped. What does it look like to worship God? What does it look like to love the Lord? What does it look like to trust his promises? Well, maybe you're here and you're like, I don't, I don't know how we got here, okay? Well, we've been talking a lot about a guy named Moses who's leading a people called the Israelites. And Moses is kind of like us in regards to leadership. He uh, is a little hesitant when God calls him. And he's like, I don't think this is a good idea. And God says, no, I, I promise, like, I'm going to be with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. And he's like, eh, okay, let's see what happens. And so he a little stubbornly goes and leads the people of Israel out of this land called Egypt. And they were slaves in Egypt. And um, long story short, uh, and, and I don't want to, like, throw you guys under the bus by any means, but they're grumblers and complainers like us, right? They grumble and complain about food and about water, and God constantly provides for their needs. I know you've never grumbled or complained, but um, maybe your spouse has a few times. And so we get to Exodus, and um, we see that we're in this story. We're in so many different places in this story. And as uh, Moses helped 
lead the people out of slavery. Um, they're going to this promised land. And so let's just pick up at like Exodus 21 to get to 24, okay? In Exodus chapter 21, essentially God looks at the people and he says, because we talked about the Ten Commandments last week, he says, if you don't follow these Ten Commandments, this is what's going to happen and transpire um, because your disobedience. And so chapter 21 and 22 are all about the judgments from God if the people are disobedient to his word, will, and ways. Think about it like getting a ticket from a police officer for running a red light, right? This is the consequences of your sins. Now, in Exodus chapter 21, you have some really popular passages of scripture. Things like do unto others as you would have them do unto you, uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, etc., right? In Exodus 22, you do have more of those judgments, but they talk about like money and theft and no other gods before, the living God, how to take care of orphans, things like that, okay? Exodus 23 is interesting because it starts to hit on this thing called the Sabbath. And next week, we're going to talk about the Sabbath, and it is a fantastic study. If we understand the Sabbath well, I think it has some really cool connotations for us as New Testament believers. Um, But we have to understand that the Sabbath was for Israel and not necessarily for the New Testament church. I'm getting ahead of myself because we'll talk about that next week, okay? The chapter ends, though, if you want to just kind of glance at chapter 23, that chapter ends with God saying uh, a promise, He says that I am going to send an angel into the promised land, Canaan, before you, and you need to listen to my angel. And then I'll drive out the inhabitants of that land who are not holy, and I will place you in there who are holy because God is holy, and I will take away the sickness that is in your midst. And the chapter leads up to God fulfilling his promise or being a promise keeper. And it is a confirmation to his people that has New Testament connotations for us as believers today. And so what we're looking at here is essentially the covenant, old covenant, okay? And then we're going to talk about how that applies to the new covenant. And when I say covenant, I just mean promise. Another word for covenant is also testament. So you have an old testament, old covenant, old promise from God. And you have a new testament, new covenant, new promise from God. Both of these teach us about God, how he operates, and how he wants us to worship him. So let's look at this um, chapter, okay, chapter 24, and let's just start at the first two verses. God often talks to Moses. It is believed he talks to him audibly. Some people think, man, I wish God would talk to us uh, that way today. You would be terrified, okay? Let's just throw that out there, okay? So Moses being able to hear God is a good thing. And we thank God that he acts a little bit like an intercessor um, so that we can understand him. Come up to the Lord. So what he's saying is I want you to come up to the mountain, all right, Mount Sinai. You and Aaron, your right-hand man, if you remember him, he was uh, the guy who was commissioned to go with Moses to speak to him because Moses gave an excuse to God saying, I'm not a good speaker, I stutter. And he's like, okay, here's your number two. And then Aaron has two kids, Nadab and Abihu. Great names for those of you who are pregnant, if you want. Just go ahead and call your kids that. And then 70 of the elders of Israel. And you should, key word here, worship. But you don't worship close, you worship from afar. Verse 2. 
Moses alone, the great intercessor here in the Old Testament, shall come near to the Lord, but others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. What's transpiring here? Well, the first thing we see, Old Covenant to New Covenant, is that God calls us to worship him. God is calling us to worship him. Let's walk through these two verses here. God continues to speak to Moses from Mount Sinai. This time, he's going to use Moses, our covenant mediator, promise mediator, to bring Aaron, his two sons, who will be leaders of the future priesthood in Leviticus chapter 10. It's important that they're there. That has other sermon connotations to it. And 70 elders of Israel, circle that word 70, which is a symbol here of totality or wholeness of Israel. There's a complete uh, group here, essentially, is what's happening. Other symbols that are popping up that are important. Number one, it is a symbol of distance. All of these men were to keep their distance. Old Testament people kept their distance from God. New Testament people are allowed to come near to God because of the grace offered by God, uh, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It says worship from afar. Circle the word worship. Worship means they would fall down before God physically like paying homage to royalty, much like the people did in Aladdin, just to give you a context. People came close for awe and fear and respect. You have that for the living God, an awe of him, a fear of him, and a respect for him. Which brings us to the second symbol. Here Moses is our mediator. Moses alone, the text says, was allowed to come near to the Lord, and he stands as a mediator between God and the people. This happens all the time in the Old Testament. People like Abraham, Moses, Levitical priesthood. He is a placeholder that points towards Jesus who would come in the New Testament. Notice this. The emphasis on this passage of Scripture is that a holy God has elected a mediator who could draw near to him. And we constantly see Moses functioning as a mediator of the old covenant that contrasts Jesus, a mediator of the new covenant. How do you know? Bridge the Old Testament with the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Moses is known for his obedience. Are you known for your obedience to God's word, will, and ways? Jesus has been counted worthy. Some people think it's more worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has honor than the house itself. Now, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken on later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. We're his church. We are the bride of Christ. Christ has come. Christ has died. We, through faith, are ushered into the family of God because of our belief. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to that confidence and our boasting in our hope. So we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in all situations and circumstances, good times and bad, in our marriages and with the things that happen and transpire in our world. Amen? Okay, you're getting it. 
Hebrews continues in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now Jesus is not going to be a Levitical priesthood. He is going to be our great high priest who has been given a ministry that is superior to the old covenant, old promise. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on a better promises. You can talk to God himself because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. He is the avenue we walk on which God hears our voice. What are you getting at, Pastor Jordan? Well, good question. All of these truths remind us of the great privilege we have as believers to worship. And as we see transpiring in the world right now, people are being stripped away of their ability to worship and we should be uh, in humble awe, adoration, and fear of God and be excited about the fact that we're able to worship even here today. So Paul speaks of this incomparable, almost incomprehensible privilege for those of us in the new covenant under Christ. He declares in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we have peace with God. A peace that passes all understanding in good times and bad because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place. Think about Moses being brought into this place where he is going to communicate with the living God and you, as a believer, have been brought into this place. You were undeserving, but now you are deserving. You've been given a privilege where you were not able to stand, but now you can stand confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. You need to tell, your heart needs to tell your face about what you have received from God. You are able to worship. So here, Paul says it, and he also says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, you've been united with Christ. You were once far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. God saves us and leads us along life's paths now by his grace. And so the first two verses of Exodus show us that we're called to worship God. To come near to him through faith in Christ. If you have not made the decision to follow Christ as Savior and Lord, you are missing the invitation to worship as a living sacrifice to a merciful Father. What a call to worship. Okay, keep going. Number two, actually verse three. Moses, after talking with God, came and he told all the people the words of the Lord and the rules and regulations. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. (laughs) Liars. And Moses, that's not in the text, by the way, that's me. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord because he knew the people would not remember those words. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Twelve pillars he built as well, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 5. He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Moses took half the blood. Can you imagine if Pastor Jordan did this? This would be like a scary day in church. He took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. He took the book of the covenant, all those rules and regulations, and he read it at the hearing of the people. And they said again, all the Lord has spoken. We will do. We will be obedient. And here's my favorite part. So Moses took the blood and he threw it on him. 
And behold, the blood of the covenant of the Lord, Moses said, has made with you in the accordance with all these words. The Old Testament's crazy sometimes, right? It's a little weird in church sometimes. What's happening here? Well, watch. What's happening in the text is that God is consecrating his people. In other words, what he's doing is he is declaring his people as sacred as they worship. God is consecrating his people as worshipers. When you worship God, you are set apart by God. Let me put it another way. The more you worship the living God, the more you don't look like the world. The more you worship the living God, the more the things of this world don't matter. If Israel could have just kept their eyes on God, they would have been fine. But the more they looked at the materialism of the world, the more they fell to their sin. So Moses comes from this meeting with God. Let's walk through this passage. And he gives instructions, these regulations, all this other stuff. And all, not some, of the Israelites answered in one accord. See, they drove cars back in the Bible. They were all in one accord. And they would do what God commanded Moses. Yawn, yawn, whatever. You got it, okay? I got to hold your attention somehow. How does he do this? How does God consecrate worshipers? How does, he, how, do, how does this process work? Well, watch. Old Testament to New Testament, okay? First thing, praise the Lord that he gives us his written word. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that he does not have us just memorize what he says. It is written down for us from Old Testament to New Testament. From earliest days, God wanted his written word. Moses writes God's word in a book or a scroll, and he writes it in chapter 20 and 21 and 22 and 23. Later, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9, it will say it like this. Moses wrote this law, and he gave it to the Levitical priesthood, the Levites, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all of the elders of Israel. The word of God has always been important. Having God's written word meant that the people could know God, his will, on every single issue of life. This would be read every seven years. Let me just ask you a question this morning. It might be a hard question. Is the word of God the foundation for your life and practice? Is it a book that sits on the shelf and collects dust? Or is it so worn and tattered and torn because you are constantly pouring through the pages of the text? Every seven years, they would read it in the entirety. Can you imagine? From corporate worship to relationships to raising kids to commandments, they were all written down. They were crucial to life. People hung on the words of God. The reason our society is decaying is because people are refusing to cling to the word of God. And so here, God's word is always critical to our spiritual life. It is, it's like the air in our lungs. We need this to stay spiritually alive. How's it going with your 365-day reading plan? Did you get to Leviticus and bail out? We read it, and we reread it, and we study it, and we continue to study it. And we would ask, are our words like the people's words here in the text? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And I'll be obedient to it. Number two. He also accepts the sacrifice of the people. When the people follow the word of God, 
God accepts the sacrifice from the people. One key sacrifice that was offered here, which I think you should take a a really interesting um, look at, is time. The biggest sacrifice that we can give God is our time. Uh, We're failing as my generation to connect with the, the older generation. And the reason for that is because the older generation wants our time, and as a younger generation, we look at the older generation and we don't, we don't have time. It's not that we don't have time. It's that we prioritized wrong. And the same thing is happening here in the text. See, the people look at God and they say, we don't have time. And he's like, you have time. You just haven't made things a priority. Notice what time Moses spends with the Lord. It's the morning. There is a hard case for the fact that our initial time is upon waking. Four times, Moses rises early in Exodus. Jesus rose early to pray. Other sacrifices are offered as well, but the sacrifice of time is constantly reiterated in the Bible. I know that some of you work third shift and second shift, and you're all over the place. Whatever your morning is, give the first portion over to the Lord. Tithe means tenth. Give the first 10% of your time over to the Lord and watch your life change. God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, he says essentially that you shall make an altar of earth for me and you shall sacrifice it on burnt offerings and peace offerings and your sheep and your oxen in every place where I will cause my name to be remembered and I will come to you and bless you, the sacrifice of time. If you want to in the text, circle that word altar, which represented God, It is at the base or the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars, which represented the tribes of Israel. Since there's no Levitical priesthood yet, young men, which are the firstborn in the family, are brought in to do the heavy lifting, and they give not only their time, but the second thing, their talents to the Lord. Burn offerings and sacrificed peace offerings, which is the same in Exodus 20-24. The animal offerings provided the blood Moses would use to confirm or ratify God's covenant with Israel. What are we getting at here? Peace with God has to have a sacrificial substitute die. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go back there. This is why even the first covenant, that's the Old Testament, okay, was put into effect with the blood of animals, what Moses is doing here in the text. After Moses read each of God's commands to all the people, this is Hebrews, right? This is New Testament. He took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. So what? Moses is acting like a mediator. He is like a minister doing the marriage of a man and a woman. Here, Jehovah God is the husband and Israel his bride. And the sprinkling of blood on the Israelites under the old covenant was a shadow of the sprinkling of blood on believers that would happen in the new covenant. One commentator says it like this. He says, Israel was thus ceremonially set apart through blood, the blood of the covenant. As the people of the true God later in the new covenant established by Jesus was also ratified by blood. His own blood. Both Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians talk about this. When Jesus, after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my 
blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So if God calls us to worship, he also confirms that worship as we continue to be set apart for him. Instead of the blood of bulls and goats, God's new covenant through Christ is ratified or confirmed by perfect blood, which is Jesus' blood, the Lamb of God. 100% man, 100% God. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, just listen to these words. Jesus gave himself for us as a substitutionary sacrifice to redeem Pay full the price to set to sinners, free from the penalty and power of sin, the devil and death. For us believers from every lawless deed, sin, and to purify or sanctify for himself a people for his own possessions. In other words, what Israel was unable to have been with God, we are able because of Christ. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, it says, my own possession among all people. In Titus, it says, we are zealous for good deeds, for worship. We are consecrated to God because the blood of Christ. If you have been given a great gift, why do we conceal that gift? If you've been given something that's great, why do you conceal that gift? Here's what I think about the New Testament church. I think we accepted Jesus and we were not taught how great a gift we received. We simply took it like we take everything else in this world and we said it's mine and we forgot what to do with it. And so here, if God has proven in his written word that he accepts our worship, then our opportunity as well as our obligation is to be living sacrifices, freely giving back because of the gift that we have given. The question on the table is, what are you giving to God because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ? In other words, and this is really hard to say, are we as believers just wanting God to continue to give, give, give instead of give back, give back, give back? How worthless would it be for us to raise kids when they constantly just, just want, 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 want? Instead of looking at it and saying, thank you so much, here's how I give back. All right, it doesn't end. Uh, verse nine. Then Moses and Aaron and his two sons Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up. This is outstanding, by the way. And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And the great God does not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel they beheld God, and they ate and drank with him. What? <laughs> what is happening? God is confirming his covenant. He's a promise keeper. And his promise is kept here in the text. He says, first of all, I'm calling you to worship. Second of all, I'm setting you apart as worshipers. And third, I'm going to confirm that covenant. In other words, the more you worship me, the more I'll confirm it. Situations, circumstances, hardships, whatever you face in life, it doesn't matter. Trials, tribulations, all of those bad things that happen, if you continue to worship the Lord and all those things, he constantly confirms his promises over and over and over and over again. Sometimes you don't see the promises of God because you have left the presence of God. And so here, as a response to the above, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, 70 elders of Israel, go up the mountain, see God of Israel. Well, hold on a second. Hold, hold the phone. John said, John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. That scares me. 
Because if I look at that, that means God's a promise breaker. He's not a promise keeper. It's also in Exodus 33, 1 John chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Is that a problem? No. Since Jesus is God in the flesh, when people saw him, they were seeing God. Okay? Yeah, God can be seen. Many people have seen God. So wait, does that make the Bible a liar? No. Because no one has ever seen God revealed in all of his glory, which is the true definition of the verse. Nobody can see God in all of his revealed glory. God veils himself constantly, appearing in forms that we can see. This is different than seeing God with all of his glory and his holiness displayed. Under God's presence, or here in the text it says, at his feet, which is figurative, there is a pavement of sapphire stone. Think bright blue brick tile, clear as heaven itself. And this is extremely prophetic words. Because if we jump over to Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Around the throne, there were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments. And there were golden crowns on their heads. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and pearls of thunder. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. So what? Notice that he, the living God, does not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, meaning God doesn't kill them. In his divine mercy and grace, he does the, op- the opposite, and he offers a meal to confirm the covenant. As a confirmation of God's covenant, they ate and drank. You should underline that in the text. It means they had fellowship with God. Think about it this way. When, in the New Testament, it says the believers, when they gather, have fellowship with one another. That is the same word that's used here. It's God's presence dwelling among the people. Here we see that in the ancient times, sharing of a meal is an integral part of a covenant. Did they eat with Jesus? I don't know. Did they eat the leftover peace offerings? I don't know. And it doesn't matter. What does matter is this. To eat and drink with God meant they were at peace with God in covenant with him. Can you say the same? This is what happens at communion When we take communion on the first and fifth Sundays of the month, this is what happens. We have communion and fellowship with God. It is a symbolic uh, ritual explanation where we look at it and we say, we have peace with God because of Christ. We're no longer far off. We are now brought near to the throne of God. God is a true promise keeper. He's kept his promises. All of the promises are true from God in Christ. In Revelation chapter uh, 19, verse 7, through nine at the marriage supper of the lamb i'm so excited that there's a final meal just it just makes sense right it's like a big old potluck where we don't have to bring food that's awesome it says let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him because he's a promise keeper you have problems you're you're going through some stuff you're going through some things the god of the universe is a promise keeper every one of his promises come true in christ but you can't 
You can't embrace those promises if you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Are you making yourself ready? Like if God were to come right now, if Jesus comes back right now, are you ready? It was given to her to clothe her in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he says to me, write these things down. Just like Moses was commanded, write these things down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why does that not move us to worship? And he says, to me, these are the true words of God. What if somebody promised you something? How would you know that it is true? How would they prove that promise? God has promised us so many things in his text. A relationship with him through faith in Christ. All of those Old Testament promises point to New Testament realities. God has called us to worship him alone. He is setting us aside in our worship, and he is constantly confirming his covenant as we are living testimonies, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, of his grace. One commentator says, Oh, for grace to be able to combine the vision of God with every one of our common incidences. To live always beneath his eye in the unrestrained gladness of little children in their father's presence. Do you live in light of the fact that the almighty God looks at you and sees you? The old hymn says it like this. He says, there's never a trial that he is not there. There's never a burden that he does not bear. There's never a sorrow that he does not share. Moment by moment, we are under his care. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, there are people here who are not underneath your care because they are deliberately disobedient by rejecting your word, your will, and your ways. They look at Christ as a condemnation and not as a salvation. And if you're here today, you're listening online or you're listening to this later, and you're in that spot, Jesus Christ is not a condemnation. He is a salvation, and he is knocking at the door of your heart, and he is saying, I want a relationship with you. It is your opportunity to open that door. And the way that you do that is you trust Christ in faith. You believe that all the promises of God are true in Christ and that the blood that was shed on the cross over 2,000 years ago covers your sin. There is no other name by which man is saved except by Jesus Christ. He was a perfect God and a perfect man. He died on the cross for your sins. And there are people who are gathered here today, and maybe you've been here for years and years and years, and you don't have a relationship with God because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Do not leave here today without coming to a relationship with God through faith in Christ. It is as simple as saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I repent of that sin. I believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are saved. And after the service today, if you've made that decision, there's going to be people with yellow lanyards who would love to confirm that decision that you've made. But God, there's, there's people who are here today who claim to be followers of you. And we are withholding our worship. And we repent of that. In, in our life, in the things that we have participated in, we have failed to see our marriage as an act of worship. 
We have failed to see our job as a mission field, a place for us to worship. We have failed to see that everything that we participate in is an opportunity to worship, to evangelize, and to edify. And so, God, before we go any further, we just ask for your forgiveness. And in the quietness of the sanctuary, we ask, God, that you would help us. Because without you, our deeds are like filthy rags. But with you, we are more than conquerors in Christ. And so whatever these saints are are dealing with today, whatever battle they are coming up against, whatever Goliath is standing in their path, I pray that you would just whisper in their ear right now. Help them to know who they are in a relationship with you. That they are beloved. That they are conquerors. That they are sons and daughters. That they've been given a great gift. And I pray that as we continually worship you, you would set us apart from the rest of this world. That the distinctions would be so different. The people would look at the people who populate community gospel as there's something different there. And it's not legalistic acts because we're not under law anymore, God. We're under grace. And we would point people back to the grace that we have because of the promise that is from you that is found in Christ. We thank you, God, for your word. Continue to impress that truth on our heart as we continue to worship you in song. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.